Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Holland Berry, the Vice President and Field CTO of Sixtera, and Brad Circles, the Public Sector Vice President and General Manager for Sixtera. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Uh, Brad, I'll start with you in this first question here. We got a lot to talk about. Um, there's obviously a lot going on right now, a very dynamic uh, market, a lot of emerging trends here. And so I wanna start the conversation out by asking you, what are the, the trends technology-wise that you're seeing in the federal space? You know, what, what do you have your eye on the ball on here? And and how is Sixtera uh, anticipating uh, where the puck's going here, so to speak? Yeah, great. Thanks for the question. It's it's an interesting time for the federal government for a multitude of reasons, right? The, there's an evolving set of strategies as they deal with their internal IT. Um, data centers are being closed, which is creating an opportunity, I think, for a lot of organizations right now to, or entities to transform how they're doing IT. Some of that is gonna be workloads that can never go to cloud uh, and will need to remain in a, a government data center or a co-location facility. Some of it lends itself to cloud, but that transition to cloud isn't always easy. And some are frankly looking for an environment that allows them to still achieve their FATARA scores, move away from a CapEx model to a pure OpEx-based model, but maintain something more like a private cloud within that environment. So the business side is certainly evolving in that space as customers look for, for more choice. And then you start to transition into really, you know, we're all hearing about chat GPT and, and all the cool things that can be done with that. And AI is really starting to firmly take hold uh, for a lot of federal agencies. The problem with AI and ML specifically is your cost of entry is very, very high. And so for a lot of customers, they feel a limited choice in terms of the direction that they can go, uh, but we help bridge that choice for them with some additional offerings that we put in place around an AI ML as a service offering that, that, that we're providing to customers today. So what we're doing really to address that is we're a world-class leader in co-location. We provide private cloud as a service in a pure OPEX model. And then we also do AI ML GPU as a service as our third pillar of our business offering for the federal government. All right. Well, let's loop in Holland here. I gave Brad a, an extended sports analogy, I think, in that question, you know, where the eye on the ball, where the puck's going, but uh, I'll, I'll save you that piece of things. You know, what are you tracking over on your uh, side of things and, and what's new, what's emerging, what's what's exciting? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, from a trend perspective, we're seeing a bit of a shift from, you know, if you look back 12 to 18 months ago, I think there was a lot of uh, innovation, a lot of loose spending, I'll call it in terms of getting projects or, or uh, products to market. And whether we're talking about the commercial market or the federal market, uh, we're seeing definitely a shift, uh, shift to keeping a closer eye on the dollars, there's more cost constraints, focus on, on budgets. Um, but those same mandates to, to modernize and, uh, you know, keep things going are, are still there. So so what do you do? And we have this another set of circumstances where, you know, we had an overnight remote workforce as a result of the pandemic. And then there was a lot of uh, things that people had to do out of necessity. And then some overcorrections might have occurred, too, in terms of where workloads uh, were, were running. And that includes some overcorrection in the public cloud. And now we're seeing, you know, those costs go up. Uh, people maybe didn't get the requirements right out of the gate. Uh, now we got workload sprawl. There was unaccounted for data egress. 
Um, and so there's this right sizing that's happening right now. There's a recalibration on where the workloads need to go. Um, and so I, we're seeing people adopt a healthy mix. Uh, you know, Brad's going to talk about cloud smart here in a second, but really identifying that venue that fits the attributes of the application most effectively, utilizing a mix of public cloud, private cloud, whether that be in a, a owned managed data center or a co-location environment like us, um, could be a SaaS service. And uh, the, the federal edition of our platform, Six Terra's platform, sort of sits in the middle of this hybridization uh, of these of the workload re recalibration exercise. All right. Well, Holland, let's stay with you because you did anticipate my next question here on Cloud Smart as far as you know those mandates from the top down that agencies are expected to follow. Um, what obviously every agency's journey is going to be a little different there. And you know, there's going to be some unique considerations, but what generally should agencies uh, be mindful of as they try to adhere to that cloud smart mandate? Well, I think I'm going to answer a little piece of this that I'm going to pass it to Brad uh, also also to chime in. But I think that it, we started at cloud first, which is take everything you've got and, and put it up effectively into a public cloud environment. And I think we're going from cloud smart now to cloud choice. And that's really representative of the last thing that I just said, which is where does the application want to live? What are its data requirements? What are its security requirements? What are its usage patterns over time? Are they seasonal and bursty? Are they heavy, steady state? All of these little things give you clues on the best venue to run a particular application. And Brad, I'd love to hear your point of view as well. Well, I think it's a great summary of where we're at, right? As, as Holland references, government customers are looking for choice. Um, they started with the cloud first mindset and pivoted heavily towards hyperscalers, which frankly is a great technology for some of the workloads that they're taking forward. Then they pivoted to um, cloud smart, right? Well, which applications are best served by going to the hyperscalers? But there's still that need for, like we were talking about earlier, moving away from government owned data centers, not necessarily needing to buy their own equipment as part of that process, but they still wanna maintain a bit more of a private cloud feel. And that's where when Holland talks about cloud choice, and giving our customers true choice, we're going to fit right in the middle of the old way of doing things for the government, government-owned equipment, to the hyperscalers of saying, for your persistent workloads, this presents a great opportunity for you to move away from owning and refreshing this equipment, allowing us to own that piece, but still maintain that sense of control that you're looking for in your overall environment, while still having the capabilities of extending into the hyperscalers for things like bursting or the tooling that they've already created in those hyperscalers. So that, that third iteration that Holland is talking about, I think is a critical one for the federal government because I think it ultimately gets to where they've been aiming for the whole time. They just lack choice until more recently. Okay, well, to my earlier point about, you know, how everyone, every agency's migration is gonna look a little different here uh, and that they're gonna have different considerations as part of all that. You know, I think there's an abundance of cloud options that they can uh, avail themselves to. You know, private cloud is is just one of the tools in the tool set, so to speak. Um, let's drill down on that for a little bit, just in terms of private cloud as a as a tool for agencies in their migration journey. Uh, how does private cloud support you know things like scalability, flexibility, things that are obviously very valuable for them to uh, to work to to focus on? Sure, that's a great question, and and really it comes down to two different variables that measure that success. One is how you account for the expense. 
So private cloud is something that's been around for a very, very long time, but it was typically a capital expense mm -hmm. that you had to put on your own books. And obviously as government wants to shift away from CapEx to more of a true OpEx-based model, that traditional private cloud doesn't necessarily work, but in an as-a-service model, meaning it sits on our books and we only build for consumption, what the customer is actually using, it still gives them the control that private cloud offers and is advantageous, but it also gives them the way to account for it on the books in terms of the way that the budget dollars are flowing today. And that's a key distinction, I think, between our offering and a bit more of a traditional hyperscaler offering, which is, you know, when we look at private cloud, one of the advantages is single tenancy, right? But when you move to a hyperscaler model, that's a multi-tenant offering. And from a security standpoint, some customers are going to be okay with that, and some are going to be less comfortable with that, particularly for more sensitive workloads. In an offering like a private cloud as a service, like we offer today, we charge our customers purely based on the node or the server that they're using. What they do inside of that box is entirely up to them. If they use it 15% or 85%, the price is going to be the same. And then what that translates to them from a budgeting standpoint is a firm fixed cloud. Because we're not charging for fees to take data out, to push data in, to peer for disaster recovery. A lot of those um, ancillary charges that can make somebody really raise their eyebrow when the bill comes in of why are we why are we doing this, right? Why is this becoming so expensive? To me, it's just the lowest common denominator of I'm going to charge you for the infrastructure you're using, and that's it. And then I think, you know, the, the other advantage of private cloud traditionally in, in the old terms, right, was it was my security stack, right? It was my server security stack that I applied to that environment. And oftentimes when you go into somebody else's environment, you have to adopt their security controls as part of your process. And for a federal agency, that takes a lot of time. It can be a bit expensive to run through that process. Um, and frankly, from the person who's stuck dealing with it, it's a lot of paperwork. Our offering allows government customers to bring in their cybersecurity stack and connect it into our enterprise bare metal boundary so that they preserve the cyber settings and security that they're comfortable with, just operating in a different model and a pure OpEx-based model from, from the backend server and storage hardware. All right, a lot of great points there. We'll unpack some of those, some of those down the line here. But uh, Holland, uh, just building off of what a Brad what Brad just said there, um, just what are some additional considerations that agencies should be mindful of when it concerns the private cloud? I, I think um, Brad touched on a few of them, but it, you know, what he was describing as kind of a blend of two experiences, right? And and taking a lot of the best attributes of running infrastructure in a public cloud setting, right? Where you've got a series of past services and everything's on demand, all those things. What we've built and what we'd like and, and agencies and FSIs to pay attention to is something that blends the best of both worlds of having that public cloud experience, but also having the security control and performance of a dedicated environment. Um, and there's some nuances with that. You know, when, when we talk about control, um, we're talking about a lack of abstraction uh, and, and being able to get directly to a piece of hardware and change a bias setting, having control of the overlay network and being able to manipulate things like VLANs and things like that. I'm getting a little technical here, but I'm saying, you know, you, you have this ownership experience as if you had bought, you know, the equipment and we're managing it yourself, but we're blending in some of those attributes that everyone's come to love about the hyperscalers. Um, so I think paying attention to those knobs you need to turn and those outcomes, you know, that the end user is trying to achieve, uh, we we give you a few more options, I'd say, in the modality that we deliver infrastructure. 
Okay, great. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there for now. We'll get back with some more details here. Again, my guests today are Holland Berry, the Senior Vice President and Field CTO of Sixtera, and Brad Circles, the Public Sector Vice President and General Manager for Sixtera. I'm your moderator, Jory Heckman, on the discussion, Evolution of the Cloud, Cloud First, Cloud Smart, to Real Cloud Choice, sponsored by Sixtera on Federal News Network. Welcome back to the discussion, Evolution of the Cloud, Cloud First to Cloud Smart to Real Cloud Choice, sponsored by Sixtera on Federal News Network. My guests today are Holland Berry, the Senior Vice President and Field CTO of Sixtera, and Brad Circles, the Public Sector Vice President and General Manager for Sixtera. I'm Jory Heckman, your moderator, and we're going to jump back into the conversation here. Brad, I know before the break here, you were talking a little bit about Sixtera Enterprise Bare Metal. Um, what I'd love to hear more about is just some of the uh, the use cases where that's particularly valuable for agencies, again, going back to their cloud journey. Terrific. Yep, thank you. Um, well, there's quite a few, as you can well imagine, but a lot of it just comes back to the accounting cycle. Um, a lot of federal customers are coming up for tech refresh, right? Which then means they have to go and acquire the capital to refresh older gear. Um, they're also, in many cases, being told that they ultimately need to vacate the data center space that they're in right now. And so a primary, primary use case for us is really just providing them with a space to migrate to um, on enterprise bare metal. You know, we've talked about the benefits of private cloud as a service and what it gives to federal agencies, but tech refresh tends to be a real big trigger or data center migration also tends to be another trigger of why they're entertaining moving to enterprise bare metal. So that's one major use case on the traditional server platform based equipment. The other one is AIML as a service, which like we had talked about, the high cost of entry, it can also be daunting for a lot of FSIs and federal agencies, but being able to consume it on a monthly basis allows them a lot more steering in terms of what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, and then not having to ultimately own a half a million dollar asset mm -hmm. that could just be sitting there spinning and, and drawing electricity through that process. It's very, very effective when it comes to the budget cycles to think about how money sometimes flows down. So if you think about a lot of grant funding in the scientific community, that cannot be spent on CapEx. So it's very limited in terms of ability to go buy gear to fulfill the needs of what that grant is requesting. However, through AIML as a service with us, it gives them another option, another choice to be able to come in, pay us on a monthly basis for the limited time that they need it to do what they need to do to fulfill the terms of the grant, which I mean, these are life transforming 
grants in a lot of cases trying to solve real problems, whether it's for the environment, whether it's for health and healthcare, broader initiatives that we really do need to go and solve. And we just want to be a partner to government in that instance to say, come in, consume what we already own. And then when you're done, you simply vacate. And then uh, we go find another customer to come in and take over that space. All right. Well, Holland, I just do want to highlight one element of the conversation here um, and make sure that it's kind of brought to the, the forefront here. The, the, I, the AI ML side of things, and that is obviously a thing that is uh, really only possible once that move to the clouds uh, done, just given the, the treasure trove of data AI and ML need to, to operate. Um, you know, just given everything that Brad just said here, in terms of uh, agencies being primed to, to do this kind of important work, um, yeah. you know, how, how are you guys over at Sixera do, you know, supporting that work and that move to AI ML? Yeah, I think ha having the baseline networking and compute present is a big piece of it. And you hit on something uh, really important, which is data and data gravity and data proximity to the compute. And that's something that we can help a lot with as well. We've got high-speed networking in place. So when those inevitable large data sets, especially related to model training, need to occur close to the compute stack, we've got you covered there. And if you need to take that data and put it somewhere else, there's no such thing as an egress fee in our world too. So in terms of cost predictability and that fixed firm cloud concept that Brad referenced, um, this is a really, really solid choice for doing AI, especially at scale. All right, well, you know, of course, every agency's got their cloud migration plans, but you know, the plan is just that. Reality is an entirely different thing here. And sometimes things, uh, you know, may go awry or may not go exactly the way that agencies expect they're going to. Um, it's probably worth unpacking this for a little bit of detail here. What are some of those common uh, challenges and those common hurdles that that federal uh, system integrators encounter when they're they're trying to go about that move to the cloud? Well, I think there's a few, um, depending upon the nature of the type of work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these are complex programs that these FSIs are managing today, and some are old programs, meaning been around for a long time. And first understanding what I have is a daunting part of the challenge. And then trying to figure out how I modernize that application stack to be able to move it to a hyperscaler is another big challenge that FSIs face as part of this process. But if you look at our model and what we do, it's very simply just taking that application as it's running today inside of their environment and moving it to our environment. But the benefits again are, should they lose funding, they can simply walk away, um, provided that there's government flowdowns. Um, they don't have to own the refresh cycle on all of this equipment. We own that. We own everything from an infrastructure management standpoint, but from true control, they have that. So I think for FSIs and trying to modernize applications, we become a great partner with them. And a lot of it starts with stuff that FSIs really don't want to have to deal with, like IRAD. I mean, IRAD can be something that can, you know, shavings make a pile, become very expensive over the course of time. Um, and through that process, you know, you see a lot more scrutiny on labbing thoughts and ideas before you actually take it back to the customer. But something as simple as our IRAD as a service gives them that capability to come in for very short periods of time, do what they need to do in our IRAD as a service offering, prove it out, and then move on to presenting that back to the customer as a true capability they might be able to do. The other risks that FSIs have and it's not uncommon, is government now more and more is asking for day one readiness demonstration prior to contract award. 
Well, that's a big risk for the federal systems integrator community because even if you're down selected to one of two or one of three, that still means the odds are it's either 50-50 or one third chance that you're gonna, gonna win. As you go and spend a lot of money in order to provide that day one readiness, there's risk to the business. But however, using our private cloud as a service, he risks that because heaven forbid, if our customer doesn't win the award, they simply just issue us a 30-day termination notice. You know, everything gets wiped and we figure out what we do with that equipment going forward, but they're under no obligation after that. Ideally, they win, they can ATO the environment, and they've truly got an environment that can go from award to monetization in a much faster period of time. All right. Well, you know, in terms of that go, no go, you know, checklist of things that agencies need to be mindful of here, Holland, um, what are some other things that they just need to have on their radar screen as they go about doing this important work? I'm, I'm going to go back to really, really looking at the application attributes, um, whether it be security or performance or accessibility or maybe convenience for the teams managing it, right? Really understanding the, the anatomy of it and understanding the, the data to help make uh, an informed choice uh, about the venue where it runs. I, I think, um, you know, a, a lot of times some things get not turned and then things go to a venue where it's not not appropriate. So just encouraging that uh, that deep review of, of, of each application. All right. Well, you know, one other thing I just want to loop into the conversation here is, of course, FedRAMP and, you know, every vendor's journey uh, getting the, the foot in the door, so to speak. And so, Brad, just tell me, tell me a little bit more about Sixtera's journey uh, in, in terms of getting that foot in the door in terms of FedRAMP. Yeah, it's been a, a great journey, one that we've had a terrific partnership with government on and we're grateful for. So we uh, chose to go FedRAMP high as our pursuit. Um, for those not familiar, that's the highest level of unclass for the civilian space. We believe that serves the broadest multitude of our customers today and their needs. Uh, that's a 420 odd security controls that we have to maintain as part of that process. Uh, thankfully, government agrees. We've been prioritized by the JAB to work with them uh, on an authorization. So that work is underway as we speak right now. Um, and we will continue to keep you updated on that journey. All right. Stay tuned on that. Holland, as far as that FedRAMP high, you know, how does that best serve, how does that best serve agencies that you guys uh, do business with? Well, I think being able to tick off all those uh, security controls out of the gate lets people get to the, the important work at the application layer quicker in delivering that service. Uh, the other thing I'd want to mention too is, you know, while we have uh, this, you know, incredible set of security applied to our platform on our federal edition, a lot of that security acumen and processes and, and uh, architectures that we've employed there also applies to the commercial part of our offering too. Um, it, it makes life a bit easier for us not, not having two separate things to maintain. So uh, just to underscore the secure nature of our platform globally. All right. Well, this is we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, you know, in terms of uh, closing remarks, any any lightning round sentiments here? Uh, Thirty seconds, Brad. Anything you want our audience to especially you know take away from this conversation? Absolutely. You know, my company has a history and a pedigree of working with federal government. Our founders. This is their second iteration of doing this type of technology and this type of partnering with the federal government. Uh, my CEO of Sixterra previously ran the federal division of the former company. Um, and so it's, we're, we're really fortunate in that regard because the company speaks federal. 
not just me and not just my team, but the company speaks federal. To Holland's point, we look to take what we believe to be the most secure offerings and environments today, which is federal, and extend that across our broader portfolio where it's appropriate. You know, you had asked about FedRAMP. We made a significant investment in FedRAMP because we know that's the way we can best serve our federal customers today. And whether that's from the physical security of our data centers that serve our federal customers today to the logical security that supports our FedRAMP environment today, uh, we're very, very confident in our ability to support both mission customers as well as general agency workloads that they ultimately need to find a home for. And Holland, I think you get the final word here. Just any key takeaways that our audience should gather from this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it all comes down to the, the spirit of choice, right? And being aware that there's choices of platforms like ours out in the market that are a secure and viable leg of a multi-hybrid cloud strategy. Uh, we've built a super secure, super resilient uh, platform uh, that's uh, FedRAMP ready at the high impact level, very unique amongst our peers in the industry. And uh, I couldn't think of a better place to build a secure home for an application. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to leave things there. Uh, gentlemen, uh, thanks again for taking the time. I'd like to thank today's guests, Holland Berry, the Senior Vice President and Field CTO of Sixtera, and Brad Circles, the Public Sector Vice President and General Manager for Sixtera. I'm your moderator, Jory Heckman, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Sixtera.